Our guests on Travel with Rick Steves right now are professional tour guides and media producers from Germany. Holger Zimmer and Carolina Marburger moved to Berlin from smaller towns in Germany, and Macy Hitchcock moved from Britain to make Berlin her home a few years ago. They're here to tell us the many reasons why they love Berlin and what you can enjoy in the city, too. You don't have to look too closely to see the signs of Berlin's grand and sometimes tragic past. The city remains a magnet for workers, and the refurbished grandeur of its imperial past adds a sparkle and an elegance to the city's down-to-earth character. As a city that seems to be in constant flux, it's the place our next three guests are proud to call home. Carolina Marburger, Holger Zimmer, and Macy Hitchcock are all guides and all living in Berlin. They join us now on Travel with Rick Steves to tell us why they love calling Berlin their home. Carolina, Macy, Holger, willkommen. Vielen Dank. Danke. Vielen Dank. So nice to have you here and talk about a city that really is, I would say of all the cities in Europe, the most changed city in the last generation, you could say, is Berlin. When you think of your hometown, how would you characterize the change in the last uh, generation, Carolina? Well, given that, of course, the major change is the fall of the wall, but actually one should always kind of take into consideration that change was one of the defining moments of Berlin throughout its history, because there was, long before any war hit, there was a saying very famous that said, Berlin is doomed to evermore become, but never to be. Berlin is doomed, doomed to, to evermore become, become, but never, never to, to be. be. Say that in German. Berlin ist verdammt dazu, immer zu werden und niemals zu sein. Ooh, sounds good, but I, I kind of like the English better. <laughs> uh, and that's so true, isn't it? I mean, I was just there recently, and the Spree River, which for so long was the city turned its back on. Holger, what what is the position of the Spree River now, which is really like the, uh, the Thames in London or the Seine in Paris? Yeah, it's still, let's say, not really bathable, even though they're working on this big time, that maybe one day we can actually dive into the river right in the city center. But it has really changed and that many more kind of places have opened up, like beach bars here or a mm -hmm. bar we can go dance tango out in the open. It's right by the riverside, the right riverside. by Museum Island. So a lot of things are happening that make the river more accessible and more walkable and really more integrated into the city's living heritage. Because you said it's not quite swimmable, but someday maybe you can dive into it and enjoy that. But uh, a generation ago, if you jumped into the river, you might have policemen shooting you. That's another story indeed, yeah. Not just you getting a big uh, skin rash here right. from all the pollution, which is, you know, getting better. But yes, at some parts, it the, was river, part of the, wall. the river was the natural border between east and west and the wall right next to it. So um, that has changed. And that really was, uh, it has a lot of gruesome stories about that. And Macy, when I'm on the Spree River in Berlin now, it's, as Holger mentioned, there's sort of... Uh, fake Tahiti beach resorts almost. I mean, you've got lounge chairs and, and Mai Tais. And, yeah. uh, that must be fun in the summer. It is. It's a lot of fun. There's probably a little bit less of that. There was a big phase where there was a lot of that going on and there's a little bit less of it now. But what you now have is things like you have swimming pools, basically. There's a swimming pool in a boat by a river. That's very popular. Uh -huh. Holger was talking about in the future they're planning on creating more. And they also are, one thing I did recently was stand up paddle boarding mm. on the Spree. Oh, but I was terrified about falling in though because it's <laughs> quite filthy. It really is quite filthy. So that's still. interesting. So it's filthy, yeah. but it's uh, but but there are open air bars along the river bank, and and oh, now fun. there's like a ten euro um, English language one hour uh, tourist cruise up and down the river, which is a beautiful look at Berlin. Also fascinating for me is, of course, the Cold War um, remnants where you have the capital of Germany right there on the river, rebuilt on the river, and 
German um, administration buildings for the national government, isn't there some kind of a bridge that symbolizes Germany coming together over the river? Yeah, das Band des Bundes, the, the federal uh, connection in a way. But it's not really a bridge for like regular people. It is actually a bridge that connects two government office buildings. So Skyway. People, Skyway kind of thing. Right. So it's more like a really a symbolical thing because it really connects there at this point in the center of the city, the eastern part to the western shore of the Spree River. And for a, a German to look at that, the, the symbolism is kind of nice, east and west coming together. Macy, when I was um, working on my guidebook for 20 years on Germany, I, you know, all the time it was the East and the West. And I actually had to reconstruct the whole chapter because it's all gone to the center now. And uh, sort of surprising to me, I did a TV show 15 years ago in Berlin, and most of it was around, you know, Zudam and Kurfürstendamm and so on. Now, when I looked at the best of Berlin, in my estimate, almost the entire show was in what used to be behind the, the wall, Eastern Berlin. Tell us about the kind of structure historically of Berlin. The public spaces are interesting, they're unique. The city was born in a in a unique way. What what's the foundation of the city? Well, I mean, actually, it basically began as various was well, a little fishing village in the center of the uh, city. What's now the center of the city, which has all been basically decimated, was decimated in the Second World War. Any kind of remnants of that area. Yeah. Although I have colleagues from a tour guide. Verein, we should say, that Carolina runs. Uh, and one of those people is an archaeologist. And he's actually digging up something called Petriplatz, which is where you have the remains of this old village. But Berlin evolved in a way that you ended up when the Prussians, the Hohenzollern kings, basically took over the city or kind of didn't found it because it was already founded. But as these, it was originally these disparate areas, they conceived it as a kind of military a garrison town or a city. And one, one thing I really impressed me when I was first came to Berlin was these huge open spaces. And I was asking people, why is there so much space here? Is this left over from just communism or is it the Nazis because you have the military parades? And they said, no, it has its roots in the Prussian era because the Prussians basically conceived their state as a very militaristic state. So these were parade grounds. Parade grounds. And the Nazis, of course, could pick up on that. That was wonderful, prepared everything for them. Mm. Uh, and it's different in the East because essentially due to the bombing of Berlin, much mm -hmm. of areas being just cleared out out by the East Germans, beautiful old Prussian buildings being torn down and also turned into military parade spaces. And by the way, when we think of the German helmet with a little pointy spear on the top yeah. and when we think of goose stepping and so on, that's sort that's of the Prussian military yeah. heritage. I believe during Bismarck, the uh, Department of Education was within the Department of uh, Military or something that like that. That makes sense. It was, yeah. it was, life was like, it was the Sparta of, yeah, of modern Yeah, absolutely, Europe. yeah. Well, when we think of the foundation of Berlin or the, the evolving of Berlin, I think a very big part is the industrialization because Berlin was nothing to write home about in the Middle Ages. Like right. for a long time in Europe, European standards like Paris, Vienna, London, they were the big players. Berlin was like easy peasy, nothing really. It only grew by amazing numbers in mid-1800s when well, industrialization... The industrial revolution. Because yes. when think, you go into... E the Prince Lauenberg is so characteristic and colorful and creative. It, it's sort of the the Soho or, or the, the left bank or something. Nowadays, but back in the day when it was found, it was basically cheap, fast accommodation for workers. You know, think about the smoking chimneys, think about the factories for like the, the trains, the steel mills, all of that was Berlin. AEG, Siemens, the big factories, you know, the big companies. That's lured people to Berlin and that was a big industrial age that still makes a mark You know, this is so interesting, the history of Berlin, different things lure people in. For a whole generation, uh, Carolina, during the the Cold War, Berlin was an island of the West in the East, an island of, that was not communist. How did the government stop Berlin from just everybody 
going away. I mean, Berlin stayed very vital, but it wasn't an accident. Yes, well, it was heavily subsidized. And uh, you were even, like, workers were basically lured <laughs> to Berlin because people, it was indeed sort of dying out because people did leave, but they got people there by the so-called shiver bonus, it was called, uh, which was m- more money paid. Basically so, a, a bribe, to, a bribe to live in Berlin when you're surrounded you had by the Berlin income. Wall. Yes. And what yes. kind of people did that attract? Well, a lot of them were, were so-called guest workers, so very often Turkish migrants that mm-hmm. were, because when the war came up, basically this booming German economy had so much kind of pressure and, and, and strength that they very often could integrate all these millions of refugees from East Germany when the war goes up. Normal refugees are coming, and so they start inviting workers from across Europe, from other NATO countries. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. So poor regions of Germany domestically could provide the workers, but when you have that wall, now you need to go elsewhere for your workforce, your labor force, Mm -hmm. and Turks were willing to come over. Yeah, Turks, Italians, Greeks. And uh, And the whole gastarbeiter concept, which is almost a universal word, gastarbeiter is the (laughs) German for guest worker. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about why I love Berlin with three Berliners, Holger Zimmer, Carolina Marburger, and Macy Hitchcock. So what is it about Berlin? I mean, the history is fascinating. Everywhere you look, there's history. But what is it about the culture that would cause a German today to say, I want to live in Berlin? Macy. Well, I would say in the past it definitely wasn't the jobs, mm-hmm. uh, but that's changing increasingly because it's become a bit of a tech hub. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people working in the tech industry now. And I think what mainly attracts people is the fact that it's still affordable in comparison to other German cities like Frankfurt and Munich, which are impossible now, I'd say, to live in. Because uh, Berlin is, is famously affordable for a big capital city. Yes. You've got wonderful public transportation. Uh, you've got affordable culture. Holger, why would a young person without a lot of money choose to live in Berlin? Yeah, I think what really strikes me, and that's like an everyday fascination still, is the diversity of Berlin. Because what Berlin has is not only like this wealth of like huge, like major European style museums, you know, like we have about 180 museums in in Berlin alone, museums and galleries. So it's art, it's highbrow culture, but it's also very much the nitty gritty. You know, there's a wealth, a plethora of clubs you can go to like any night of the week to hear some music for free, live music in a pub, in a tiny little club. And I think that's this balance, the mix that really attracts me. So one night I'll be out and hearing a piano recital in a, in a private home of, of someone who's doing this for 30 years. It was like a GDR poet and still invites people to, to talk and to hear music. The next night I would go down in the basement of a former squat and hear a cool punk rock band from, from China playing. So a, a DDR poet, did you say? Yeah. Uh, so that yeah. would be a, East, a former communist poet. Absolutely. Yeah. And then a squat. What is a squat? A squat is like a house that was like pretty much common around 89, 90 when Berlin was just kind of opening up. East Berlin was opening up. A lot of houses empty, derelict, because people had fled to the west. And a lot of people would just kind of take over. They did knock the door in, take a new lock, and then, you know, use it, rebuild it. A lot of it was falling apart and do their own thing. So a lot of things happened. New spaces, new culture, and people took over themselves. And that's that's still that's happening. that's sort of the, it fertilizes the soil for creativity and, and fun culture and music and bohemian lifestyles when rents are really cheap. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We're talking about Berlin with three Berliners. Our phone number is 877-333-7425 and Eric's calling from New Haven in Connecticut. Eric, thanks for your call. Hi, Rick. Um, I went to Berlin um, in between two other cities and I thought we were just going to pop over and see a few sites, but it's such a massive and beautiful place and there isn't a single site that really stands out, but I wanted to 
encourage your listeners to really think about staying in the kind of eastern side. We found a, an Airbnb that turned out to be some lady's apartment that looked like it probably did in the 50s or 40s. And we had a beautiful view of the radio tower and spent a lot of days having some coffees in the Prince Lauersburg. And, you know, we saw a lot of sights, but it was probably more fun to just kind of hang out in the neighborhoods. Uh, we like Cruzburg a lot. So not too much of a question, but just a strong yeah. encouragement. You know, I, Spend I think more time than you think you need there because there's so much to see. So of course there's great museums and galleries, but this sort of um, pithy culture of the city that you're talking about is something that surprises a lot of people. And Holger Eric is mentioning these uh, time warp 1950s kind of apartments that might be an Airbnb. Is it fair to say one? nice thing if you're nostalgic about the whole communist time was it sort of locked them in time and if they didn't get knocked down today they're recognized and they're kind of retro and interesting because they're like they were in the 50s or the 60s? I think it's not common, like 50s and 60s, that's kind of long gone in a way, but still you do have a lot of references to other times, to other eras, and a lot of the, let's say, the 70s, the 80s, still the GDR style is still visible, especially in Prenzlauer Berg. And really, Eric, you're right about it, bring some time when you come to Berlin. Take some time. Macy, I'm just enamored with uh, Karl Marx Alley. It used yes. to be called Stalin Alley, yes, right? Yes, it did, yes. Tell me the story and what would you find in Karl Marx well, Alley? Well, Karl Marx Alley, what you get if you want to experience a kind of how the GDR liked to see itself rather than what it really was, you go to Karl Marx Alley. It's a grand so Stalinist... So GDR again, meaning uh, German Eastern Democratic, Germany. Yeah, the, genau, the, exactly, yeah. The communist Yeah, Germany. the communist East. And basically it was built during the kind of early years of East Germany as a way of proving that the East Germans had money or could build. Uh, because if you have money, you have armies uh, or you can fund armies. The East German leaders were building in kind of a competition with the West. So it's kind of a Moscow aesthetic, isn't it? Yes, it's sort it of is. like Moscow elegance. Yeah. It's just like this bold. It's a kind of Stalinist style. So it's we yeah. call it Stalinist wedding cake style or Tukabak stil, which is basically wedding neoclassical. Cake Stalinist. I yeah. haven't heard that. That's yeah. good. Eric, thanks for the call. Thanks a lot, Rick. And John's calling in from Fort Myers in Florida. Hey John. Hi Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Our twenty two year old daughter is a Fulbright scholar who spent a summer in Berlin uh, a couple of years ago. And when she applied for her award, she loved Berlin so much that that was basically the only place she wanted to go. And she was lucky enough to be selected. Hmm. She's there now living kind of between Prince Lauerberg and Friedrichshain in the former East Berlin. And she loved it so much, she said, why don't you and mom come over here? I think you're going to love it. It's fabulous. We were a little reticent. We've been to other parts of Germany years ago, never to the east, and thought, well, why not? So we went over for a month, stayed with her, bought a Monats card for the public transit for 81 euros, and spent four weeks averaging probably five to ten miles a day between walking and riding the U-Bahn, the S-Bahn, the trams, the buses went everywhere. It's such a fascinating mix between the East, the West, the old, the new, the historic German buildings that, that are there, the former East German buildings, some of them still abandoned and decaying, some of them being renewed. 
it, it looked to me in parts like it was the largest construction project in the world, too. Mm. Every, everywhere we went, there's construction cranes. Oh, they used to say the national up. bird there was the crane. I mean, it, it used to be a forest of cranes. I don't know when it's going to be finished. But, hey, John, that whole idea of affordable Berlin, you stayed for a month and apparently uh, found it entertaining day after day after day, and I can understand why, especially if you have a taste for history. And that 80 euros for a Monats card, that would be about $100 for a one-month transit pass. So $3 a day, and you got the run of the, the greatest city in Germany. You got a place to crash if you've got a daughter who's a, a Fulbright scholar ending up in Berlin. What a great idea to come by and uh, kind of prove that uh, Berlin is a great place to be a, a temporary local. And that's probably the best thing about it. Rather than feeling like a tourist, we actually felt like we lived there for a while. And the price seemed like about half of what it is in, a, in the U.S. And, I, and we kept asking her, is this really the way food is priced? <laughs> yeah. Is this for real? <laughs> and she said, the, the beer is cheaper than water. Uh, a That's Germany for you. That's just German <laughs> values. <laughs> John, thanks for your call. Thank you, Rick. Diana is on the line from Seattle. Diane, thanks for your call. What is your Berlin experience? Actually, uh, my first time in Berlin is coming up in a few months. And besides doing the regular top things to do, Brandenburg Gate, etc. We kind of want to know, what do Berliners do? Where do they go to the theater? What, what's their favorite museum? What do they do to spend a Saturday? We're going to have like five days to ourselves. Okay, well, I'll, let's just go with each one of our guides here and uh, just one favorite museum or one favorite experience that you'd want to be sure that Diane has when she's in your city. Carolina. It's a beautiful, it's in a former bunker. It's called the Boros Collection. It's a private collection by a private collector that has only very, very modern art in a former bunker that he has basically established just for that collection. So in a bomb shelter, yes. um, a collection of modern European art? Yes, it, it's it's actually, by definition, it is not allowed to be older than 15 years. So it's really recent okay, so art. This would be cutting-edge art, cutting edge w- art. with a, a German style or a cosmopolitan? No, completely every- international. And what is the name of that again? Boros, uh, sort of B-O-R-O-S, Bunker. All right. And uh, Holger? I'd go a little bit more old-fashioned style. Go to my recommendation would be the Alte Nationalgalerie, the old National Gallery at the Museum Island. Uh-huh. And it houses the most amazing collection of kind of romantic German painting. Caspar David Friedrich, Menzel, like these people who really captured this idea of, you know, monks staring at the sea and the moonlight shining. It's, it's quite romantic. It's quite dramatic, Germanic, but I have to say you can spend a whole nice afternoon. And the name of that gallery, the Alte National Gallery. So the old National Gallery, it's on the Museum Island, and it is surrounded by a lot of other great museums. But I'm totally with Holger because Germany was united in the 1870s, I believe, and there was a sort of a super romantic notion of what is Germany's heritage, the Alte National Gallery. And Macy. Do you know, I'm so with Holger as well on that front for different reasons. I love the German Romantic painters, but I would say to go there for the Berlin painters because they get overlooked a lot. People like Walter Leistikow, who did uh, lots of paintings of uh, Schlachtensee, which is a lake in Berlin, very kind of moody, dramatic paintings. Menzer, who painted the Prussian monarchs. There's a side of Berlin. You can see paintings of Berlin, you know, pre-20th century Berlin, which, you know, we don't see much. Uh, of the Grand Boulevards. So these are 19th century painters? 19th century painters, Mm -hmm. and it's absolutely worth checking their stuff out as well because I think they often get overlooked because you've got the big names of Romanticism and Impressionism in the Alte Nationalgalerie. Very nice. So, Diane, you've got your marching orders there. (laughs) And and, and I I think, uh, oh, it's just, there's so much in Berlin. You'll see the obvious things, of course, but uh, keep those in mind and, and let us know how your trip goes. Thank you so much. Thank you all. I really appreciate it.
This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've been talking about why I love Berlin from three Berliners who love their hometown, Holger Zimmer, Carolina Marburger, and Macy Hitchcock. You guys are all traveling around the United States now. When you get home, what's your ritual to just reintroduce yourself to your town? What do you look forward to and do it right away when you get home? Macy. One thing I really like to do is to go to have Kaffee and Kuchen, which is actually a German ritual, cake and coffee. And it's at a place called the Markthalle 9, which is in Kreuzberg, which is an old formerly Western district, uh, which is very diverse. And I like the Markthalle 9 because it has a, a liveliness about it. It's an old market and you have a lot of produce from local areas. It's a bit hipster, but mm-hmm. it kind of caters to all tastes and the kind of people it attracts. It's a mixture of kind of New Berlin, which is international young hipsters. And then you've got also discount supermarkets in there. So you have the actual real old locals there as well. So this is coffee well. and cake. Coffee and in, cake in, kind of a in, the, in the Markthalle so it's an open market. There's lots of kids running around. It's just a nice atmosphere. In Kreuzberg. Kreuzberg is basically very Turkish. Yeah, Turkish. So, yeah, it's in uh, East Kreuzberg, so closer to where the wall was. Nice. Yeah. Holger. I think my favorite thing would be after saying hi to the family, I would immediately go out and check what's happening, what's the buzz. And I'll go for a try to find some nice underground, maybe a comedian, some kind of basement bar, some kind of things where live music is happening. I'm not very sophisticated about uh, music scenes and so on, but I've always found jazz clubs to be easy and welcoming in Berlin. Is that still the case? Yeah, still the case. Great clubs. B-flat is one of them. B-flat is great. A-train is another oh, one. Both, and yeah. there was a time where you could go any day of the weekday, uh-huh. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, there is a free session going somewhere. So you just kind of... So just buy a drink up. and enjoy it. There you go. And you have the greatest musicians. They come together because they want to play. They want to be out there on the scene and you see them for free. And that's a great vibe. Carolina. Well, I'm a bit of an outdoor person, so actually I'm a big fan of walking. And uh, Berlin is beautiful for that because there's so much space. There's so many parks. So my favorite around the corner is Gleistreieck Park, which is just, it used to be a wasteland, but it was former tracks that because of the change of the city were deserted and they put a beautiful, relatively modern urban park. You see the subways that go actually above your heads, pass by, and you get a drink around the corner at one of those famous Spätis. And you just sit down and, and just have a sip. And you guys are also filled with joy living in a city that has gone through such a tumultuous century, a city that 70 years ago was flattened. I mean, just literally flattened. And uh, I know when you stand on on top of your Capitol building and you look out and you see a little wooded hill, it looks like a beautiful park to me. And you know, how did that hill get formed, Holger? It's the rubble from the Second World War, all the things that have to be cleaned out by the Trümmerfrauen, the ladies who were cleaning out after 45. Everything was more or less completely destroyed in the city center. And they put it into a huge hill. They had to put it somewhere. So it's the and biggest it's... hill in the town, and it's made from rubble from the destruction of Berlin in 1945. Now you can and walk today, on it. you walk yeah. with your dog on it. My favorite one, very tourist to be right on the island, Lustgarten. And the Lustgarten used to be a military parade ground. And now it is just a place for lovers and poets and people to just sit there in the middle of that great city. Carolina Marburger, Macy Hitchcock, Holger Zimmer, thank you very much for a look at your beautiful city. Thanks for having Thanks us, Rick. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Rick Steves has spent a third of his adult life in Europe researching and writing guidebooks. Europe Through the Back Door teaches the skills of smart travel. Travel as a political act adds meaning to the journey. And Rick Steves' best-selling country, city, and pocket guidebooks cover every corner of Europe. To learn more, visit the Travel Store at ricksteves.com.